tasty treat will double your enjoyment of the show. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome to another episode of Tea Time, a series where we discuss topics related to trick takers, shedders, climbers, and other card games. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm Patrick. And we are joined by a very special guest, the one and only Matthew Robinson from the Game Brain Podcast. Hey, fellas. How you doing? Doing all right. And yourself? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on and helping to continue indulge me in my new obsession with trick takers. Absolutely. We are we're happy to have you. And as I said, you are on the Game Brain podcast. So for listeners who may not be familiar with that, if you want to give them a quick background of what that podcast is all about. Yeah, so me and my friends have been uh, board gaming together for about 13 years. Well, I've been a part of the group for about 13 years. A lot of them have been gaming for 20 or 30 years together. Um, And we have about seven or eight of us that get together probably once to twice a week. And we realized at some point that it would be fun to share all of our thoughts as a gaming group. So we started a podcast that sort of focuses on heavy and medium weight board games, but specifically from the perspective of a gaming group that plays together every week. So what comes with that is many different board gaming personalities and different gamer types. And so we all have sort of our archetypes. For example, I am the enthusiastic gamer. Uh, I buy a lot of games. I teach a lot of games. I sell a lot of games. I go through a lot of different games that the learning and new play experience is one of my favorite parts of the hobby. And then we have a game designer in our group and we have somebody who's been playing games for 30 years and we have people who like light games and we have people who like... Uh, 18xx games and so all of our episodes sort of bring on different members of our group where we usually focus on reviewing one specific game but through the lens of some different board gaming personalities nice so am i right in thinking then that you are the wallet of the group then you are the one who buys all the games <clears throat> so there there are now four wallets in our group uh <laughs> there so myself and tom are, are, are the two who've had a very large collection for a long time and go through a lot of games and usually have giant boxes from Essen arriving from Germany in our house every year. Uh, but then we've recently added Ben Mandelker as one of our main hosts as well. And he also has a awesome collection of games and uh, is very much a part of the buying and bringing new games to the group. And then Jordan, who just joined in the last few weeks, also has a large group. So it's getting a little less just dependent on Tom and I to purchase everything, which is nice. Not that we wouldn't, regardless. Of course, yeah. Can we see Japan as an import hot import destination then in the future, perhaps? Well, funny you say that, because Tom is in Japan right now with a list that I sent him of things to keep on the uh, lookout for. So we'll see if he has to buy a separate suitcase for me. You say he's coming back with the extra suitcase, I bet. Yeah, I hope so. That's the move. Well, of course, if you want to check out the Game Brain podcast, as, as Matt gave a perfect description of it, there's plenty of episodes. You guys have been doing it now since 2019 is when it started? Yeah, probably I think four years or so. We've got about 190-ish episodes or so. Yeah, and then every once in a while I, I do a solo episode. So there's probably about 10 of those at this point as well called Solo Mode. Because, um, yeah, I do. As somebody with two young children, I have a, do a lot of solo gaming these days. No, that makes sense. Uh, Marvel Champions, I believe, is one of your solo games, right? Yep. That was one of the first ones. I I think that was the first one I ever did. Yeah, that uh, 
that got me through the pandemic. I really enjoy that game. So good. Such a good game. One of the heroes yeah, of the pandemic. Awesome. Yeah. I just wanted to insert that. Just occasionally <laughs> I'll throw a, yeah. Just don't see it coming. No, it's yeah. good. Well, it's one good. reason why we really wanted to bring uh, Maddie on to uh, our show is because their most recent episode was talking about trick-taking games. It was a whole episode on Game Brain dedicated. It was about an hour and 50 minutes of Matt, Jordan, Dimitri, and David all talking about the different trick-taking games that got them into the hobby, the newest hotness for them, what they've been enjoying a lot lately. And we actually had the opportunity of playing a few games ourselves with Matthew last week. And we'll be talking about a few of those here in the upcoming moments of the show. But I wanted to, before we get into that, Matt, have you sort of give us your journey into the trick-taking hobby? What got you into this section of, of board gaming? Yeah, well, so I, for the most part, like three to five hour heavy Euros. And that's pretty much all I play. And medium heavy to heavy, a lot of 18xx, things like that. So when I go to a game night, I usually have a big, long game that I will be teaching for 45 minutes and playing for three to four hours. And then I go home and go to sleep and wake up really early and take care of my kids. So my game night time is very limited and precious to me. So I have, I have been almost to the point of, of it becoming like a joke about me is that I am like the anti-filler. Like it, don't come to the table with a small game. I already have the whole night planned out. There are separate tables if you guys want to do that. But like, get on the little Fisher Price table, the little kids' table off the side. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we are we are in a, a lucky position to usually have somewhere between eight and twelve people every game night. So there are always multiple tables. So it's, it's amazing. I don't get to, I don't have to be a dictator and, and force everybody to play something. And usually it's uh, we we are um, pretty democratic with our game choices, and, and we all have very similar tastes since we've been gaming for thirteen years together. So it's. It's rare we can't find something that every table wants to be playing. Um, but yeah, I've always been sort of like, you know, against these shorter games. And But also coming with with being a, a dad and, and having young kids is that my brain is a little fried sometimes at game night. So I found that I'm a little less ready for these heavy, monstrous games sometimes, especially after a, a challenging week or, you know, a, a sleepless, you know, new phase of my children not sleeping through the night. So... The, uh, it was one night a couple months ago where I was like, I just want to play a couple different small games tonight. And then David and Jordan, who were both who had already started dipping their toes into the world of trick takers, pulled out Shamans and I believe Yokai Septet. And I was smitten instantly. I instantly was like, why, what is this? Like, why did I not? Why didn't anybody not tell me that there was all these great trick taking games? You know, we play Teach You in our group. That's been a, a staple for a long time. And I really loved the crew. But I kind of, I don't know, in, in my foolishness, I thought that was it. Like, And, and I, I think I, 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 had, I had Fox in the Forest. And my wife and I had played a few games of that. But I was just like, those are sort of the three that had, you know, made it to me over the decade. And I had stopped searching after that. Um, so the minute that David and Jordan, you know, introduced me to these two new games, I found myself instantly going to Taylor's trick-taking table on YouTube. And uh, as I'm wont to do, watching too many YouTube videos and going down rabbit holes. And eventually I started picking up a few trick-takers and cut to, I think, three months later. And here I am with, I don't know, 20 or 30 different trick-takers that I own now. And I'm very much excited about this small and awesome section of the hobby that is, seems to be getting bigger every day. 
It's funny, isn't it? That's how it starts. You start with exploring a few, and then all of a sudden you turn around, and half your shelf is is trick takers. They're a dangerous yeah. uh, route to go down, but obviously we love them. What's it feels a lot easier. Like I could move my camera four feet and you would see a giant bookshelf full of 18XXs, which are, you know, if anybody who's gotten into that hobby knows that they are very expensive. Uh, for one game, you are often paying, you know, over $100 for a single game because they have such small print runs. So it somehow feels a lot easier to just be buying a $20 game. or a You fill a suitcase game, full of them so. before you know it. Yeah, I know. But, um, I know. Yeah, you clear out five 18xx games, and you can put in forty of those little games, and you're you're still end up probably spending <laughs> yeah. more money on them. <laughs> I know that's uh, true. But that's kind of the beauty uh, of you know the trick taking hobby is that it, yes, it is easy to allow yourself to get twenty or thirty of them, but if you can manage to find the right two, three, four, five of them, and just keep those, you'll have yeah. a lot of gameplay that you can have in your night just off of those few especially if you are you know especially you know with your game group being as large as it is with 12 people there's a good chance that um you know maybe shamans not everyone's gonna be able to play it that night so it'll be the next game night you can introduce it to a few more people and it'll still be showing right. it to new eyes for quite some time and then you'll start to discover some nuances in the game that maybe you didn't notice the first couple times you played and especially in like a social deduction game if there's a meta that starts to grow uh, and even non-social, just any trick-taking game, you know, there's going to be some kind of meta of yeah. who's the player that typically likes to shoot the moon, who's the player that's a little bit more risky, who's a little more laid back, and then you'll be able to start analyzing those games differently within your group. Yeah, and you know, I, I think what also really surprised me is that you know, I, I said you know I was against fillers and and I was my brain was tired and I wanted something a little lighter, but I would no longer categorize these games as fillers or lighter fare like they. I think what's really magical about them is that they feel so meaty in a short amount of time. And I also really love learning games and seeing what designers can do with specific constraints in our hobby. And I've been just fascinated by how creative and interesting and brilliant a lot of these designs are. And I love that exploration that I get from, you know, pulling out a new trick taker or being taught a new trick taker and, and seeing all the different ways that it can, you know, sort of light different parts of my brain on fire and uh, find an excitement to it. And, and also the sociability of, of the hobby of, of trick-taking and just playing card games, I think is something I've realized I've been missing a little bit in these really heavy heads down four hour long, you know, beautiful and brilliant games. But, you know, there, there's not a lot of um, laughter often in, in, in a, you know, in a long game of barrage when everybody at the end just feels like, you know, <laughs> defeated in, in a wonderful I way. I feel like but... they're being damned, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There yeah. you go. You took two hours and your plan failed from, you know, hour and a half in and now you're just super upset and you don't want to yeah. play the next two hours of the yeah, game. Yeah. Like we, we play a lot of age of steam in our group and, you know, we call it age of regrets and <laughs> so we always regret playing it by the end, but in a, in a loving and funny way, but of course. somebody always yeah. wishes they had picked another game, but you know, I, I, I really like sort of how fun and light and upbeat these games are. While also, as somebody who really wants a lot of thinkiness and a lot of strategy and a lot of tactics, um, these games give me all that. And you know, it, it's not—I don't feel like I'm playing Love Letter. No disparity to Love Letter, but I wouldn't want to sit down and play Love Letter for an hour. Um, but I would happily spend an entire night playing, you know, 
five different trick-taking games. Yeah, and it's it's crazy what some of the games can do with a single sheet of paper as a rule book. Like a lot of these, you know, bigger, totally. heavier games, it's a 40, 50 page rule book and you're getting lost in the nuance of things. Whereas a trick taker, it's like front and back one page, sometimes right. just the front page, but there's still enough meat in that game that it can keep you engaged. And you, like you said, you have those moments of like, well, this is crazy. What is this? This is a new twist to another game. It's, right. like, yeah. it's making really fun, interesting choices. Simple rules, but it's the nitsier like depth, isn't it? On some of these trick takers, you th- you'd think, oh, this is just a little little oh, yeah. game. I've played these trick takers before, and then it does something you don't expect, and it surprises you. Yeah, We're still being totally. surprised, and we 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 thought we'd seen it all, but we haven't. I know, you know, it's wild. It's the same thing in eighteen XX. I mean, it's like you think you've seen it all, and then somebody comes out with eighteen twenty two and creates an entire new genre within the genre. Um, yeah, it's 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 really awesome, and I also. I'm sort of, you know, one of the main teachers of our group. And so I, it is so nice not to have to do a 30 to 45 minute teach of a game, Oh yes. you know, which I, I had gotten very used to doing every week and enjoy. And in fact, teaching games is one of my favorite parts of the hobby, but it is nice to take a break from having to teach somebody, you know, a very complicated, long teach that has a, a much longer game ahead of them and to just, you know, get just to get the entire rules out in less than two minutes is like wild and very very relaxing 100% agree with that as the main rules teacher in my group who also enjoys doing the teaches of games it's nice to be able to pull out three or four games in a night and just knowing okay I just need to remember does this one mean the later played wins or the earlier played wins is there trump is there not like those are just the the quick key things I need to remember but otherwise I'm good to go yeah and that's that's also that's an important part of it is like people don't realize like, yeah, I have to give you a 45 minute teach, but you don't realize I had to read the entire rule book again the night before to remember how to play. Cause you know, I hadn't played Madeira in four <laughs> years or something. And you know, I, it took, I had to reread the whole thing and, and watch it three times speed, a YouTube video to remember the rules. And yeah, the, the, but with this, it's just, you know, we don't, I don't even have to know what I'm going to play that night. I can just pull it out and go, Oh yeah, right. Give me one second guys. And, okay. We're ready to go. That's that's so great. It's cognitive overload, isn't it? I mean, God help you if you teach one of these longer Euro games and somebody's looking at their phone, uh, you know, or somebody switches off for two yeah. minutes, misses a pivotal rule, oh, yeah. says at the end, <laughs> if I knew that, I, I didn't, I went to the bathroom, at, you know, with the trick takers, it's, oh, I've played a trick taker before, what's Trump? Okay, you're straight down to it. Yeah. Cognitive overload for me, you feel, you can afford to get yourself a beer. And, and relax and yeah it's you can. the feeling is uh you could even learn while you play you could even just go let's just play a hand you'll get it by the end just just watch yeah, and you might be laughing at the end of it but you, you won't be laughing at the end of a 45 minute rule teach and, and don't get me wrong there's a place for it but what yeah. how's your game night shifted then matt now uh the gravity of your game night because you were saying before it was sort of no simple filler games and we're not even calling them fillers now so how's the landscape in your... Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, we've been a bit obsessed with trick takers. So there's been a dedicated trick taking table now for the past nice. like month or two. That'll probably, you know, phase out a little bit because we, you know, I think we also as a gaming group that has a podcast, we're all very used to being like, well, we have to, okay, what's the next review this week? Okay, so that table's playing that. And, you know, and so that sort of trick taking games have sort of been the game to be reviewed for a while now. So we've been you know, sort of playing, bringing those to the table more. So now that the episode is done, they'll probably chill out a little bit, but like 
David and Jordan and I are all pretty obsessed and have a text thread where we're sending each other like, oh, are you buying that? Okay, add me one on those. Oh, I'm buying this. Does anybody want a copy of that? And like, we're, so I have a feeling where the three of us are going to be playing a lot of trick takers together for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm extremely jealous that you have uh, a group buy system as easily available to you for a lot of these Japanese games. Because uh, so, like I've said many times, yeah. I'm the only person in my area that really the gets these games. Yeah, so it's hard to like really get somebody else to group buy something. They very rarely have they told someone like, this is going to be a good one, just get it. It's usually like I have to own the copy, right. then they have to play it and go, okay, yeah, now I want a copy, which now means I have to make another buy to like get it set up, whereas it'd just right. be nice to organize it at the beginning. So I'm very jealous you have <laughs> a few people for that. Yeah, no, now we are definitely the group. It, well, it's it's also a problem. Like we need to just calm down for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going we're, to, we're like one year away from being exactly where you both are now on a hiatus. Welcome to the club so. each. Well, we'll be joining um, you shortly. Oh, yes. Are you sleeving all these games as well, Matty, or are you... Uh... No, I've been a sleever my whole life, but I've actually sort of gotten out of the habit of sleeving recently and uh, sort of only down to sleeving deck builders um, or games that, that shuffling is a major mechanic of the game. But e even with, I don't know, I'm just getting less and less into sleeving and more okay with games getting worn I don't know. Maybe it took me like over 13 years, I think, to get to the point where I'm just like oversleeving. And it's like, you know what? I have yet to have a game that I have to throw out because I've played it too much. So it's like, what am I doing this for, really? Like, the only reason I do it is like with deck builders, where every turn you're shuffling constantly. It's not even about caring about taking care of the game. It's about just, it's just exhausting to, you know, I, I played a lot of like Magic the Gathering and things. So I'm really fast with my, you know, my pile shuffling and my, you know, smash shuffling and stuff. So it's just so much easier to shuffle a deck that needs to be shuffled constantly if it's sleeved. But otherwise, I think I'm good. And Trick Takers, there's just, I mean, if you get into sleeving that, that's, that is a commitment. So I don't, I don't think I can go down that road. Do you, do you sleeve, Patrick? Yes, this is a problem because you think, well, this is a rare Japanese card game. It's probably going to go out of print yeah, in a couple totally. of years. Better put some sleeves in the box just in case I ever spill a beer on it, for example, because I'm that relaxed. Right. I haven't had much of a rules teach, and therefore we've all got a bottle of Bud in front of us or whatever you, uh, the beverage right. of choice. So it's a dangerous game. However, yeah. sometimes it doesn't all go back in the box, and there is that well, I haven't actually damaged one of these things yet, and am I playing it enough amongst the dozens of other trick takers that I own to justify sleeving it? It's right. a it's a rabbit hole. That's a separate rabbit hole. That's a niche rabbit hole within yeah. the niche. Yeah. yeah, then you have to then you have to do research on the size of yeah. the sleeves and make sure those come in time. Special and, yeah, size. No, I mean, yeah. like that that's sort of part of the, the fun of the hobby too, is is all that stuff. Yeah. But a lot of the Japanese boxes are weird sizes too, and they do have some random card sizes, or they like just fit in the box. So even if you get the like perfect sleeve size, it won't go back in the box, kind of thing. So you do have that worry as right. well. That's that is the thing as well. These these boxes are not designed for sleeves. Yeah, the vast majority of them. Yeah, it's all about being as small as possible, which I love. I am like a hundred percent on board yeah, with too. that versus the american version of games or anything that we need where the has to be retail box massive big on the shelves of the Not store any names yep <laughs> plenty of examples oh yes i think for trick taking specifically the most recent one that i would say is like really bad is uh the american psycho game from renegade games mm. it is mm. like seven times too big 
Well, they pr- people probably get tired of like, you know, getting dinged on Kickstarter for having an insert that doesn't fit sleeves. And, you know, it's like, and it isn't expansion proof mm-hmm. and all these things. And so I think people are so afraid of, you know, not looking like they're, you know, up to the times of having, you know, these fancy inserts and game genic and, you know, all the, what I mean, just like, yeah, the boxes are getting ridiculous now, especially because you have to keep in mind the sleevers. You have to keep in mind the miniature version. You have to keep in mind the next nine expansions. And yeah, so yeah, I'm less and less excited about large boxes these days. Yeah, and you can't make everyone happy. So you kind of just have to make your own choice as what's best for it and stick with it. Because no matter what, someone's going to get upset about it. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it nice cognitive overload wise as well, looking at these small boxes on the shelf? I mean shelf space but also looking at them thinking presenting this to a group of people yeah it's a pack of cards it's it's easy people will no matter how tired you are you look at it and go oh it's cards how hard could it be well there's a lot of depth yeah but the rules explanations guarantees to be breezy yeah what what what's funny also is like my i've never really been able to share my hobby with you know quote unquote muggles you know (laughs) It, it's the the games I play are usually so long and complicated that like, you know, when I meet a friend of my wife's or, you know, somebody at a dinner party or something and they're like, what's your hobby? I'm like board games. They're like, oh, I should play sometime. Like, no, you don't want to. You won't. Trust me. You won't like it. <laughs> like it's, 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 I don't think you'll be into it, but like, you know, now I feel like I've actually thrown a couple you know, trick takers in our like, you know, our kids bag that we bring around to play dates and stuff. And I've actually like pulled out games with like parents of of friends of our kids and and like just introduced games that I'm excited to play with like, you know, people who are not into games. And, you know, we don't have to have the whole like, have you played Catan conversation for the millionth time? And uh we can just like I can just like show them something cool and excited about that that they completely get right away and are enjoying. Which is awesome. Yeah, I've actually had a pretty good success or a better success with a lot of the smaller box card games for friends and family members who are typically more non-gamers and actually having them ask, where can I buy this after the fact? Like I've shown even party games, like bigger party board games I've we've played and like they've had a good time while we've played it. But then they're just like, okay, that's done. Now let's go, you know, watch TV or go hang out by the campfire or whatever it is. Just continue hanging out. But like with right. a lot of these card games, they've actually said, where can I buy that? So I've seen totally. that success as well, which is great. Yeah, no, I, I sold, I think I, I sold two copies of Nana last week to <laughs> two people who had never heard of modern gaming at all. And they were like, I'm yeah. in, where do that I get That game this? is like just guaranteed to sell itself. Memory tested a box. Yeah. Totally. But they're laughter generators, aren't they? These, a lot of these card games. Uh, you were saying earlier, you have people Absolutely. laughing. And the thing is, I play a lot of Euros and you play them at the end of, at the end of it. You go, oh, that was crunchy. That was a nice game. But it's quite refreshing to play some of these games like Skulking, for example, and just have the table in stitches for you know, 30 minutes. Yeah. It scratches a bit of a different itch. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely made our game nights uh, a little more boisterous. Well, yeah, so before we started the episode, you actually said you're going to be going on vacation here pretty shortly. And you said you're going to be hanging out with some non-gamer related family members. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going out of town for a couple nights with my sister and her two sons who are uh, 
teenagers and pre-teenagers. And so I, I've packed a whole bunch of trick takers in the hopes that uh, I can coax them into it. Yeah. If you want to give us a little sneak peek into the bag, what are you going to be bringing? What's the top of the list that you think will get see. Uh, get them into it? Yeah. Hold on. Let me grab it really quick. Yeah, no problem. So, well, I just got Savage Bowl today. So that's a selfish one for me because I want to play nice. Um, but then, let's see. So I, I put a bunch in another game box, which is great. So I got Savage Bowl. I got 535, which is always great. Hit. I got Nana. I got Scout. I got Voodoo Prince. Uh, I got Llama because that's always a silly fun time. And then I brought Le Plateau. Trust me. Be an interesting Ooh, choice to see if that Yeah, works. that would I'd say would um, be the like farthest from non-gamer trick taker. Farthest from Nana. Yeah. So, yeah. I know. Not to say that it's a bad yeah, thing. Exactly. I would just it's an outlier in that group, is what I guess I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. No. Totally. I was, it's the it's my deep end choice, <laughs> and we'll see how if far we got it. Build, then, build to it, and then of course. <laughs> Exactly. And then, of course, I brought Inside Job and Yokai Septet, which I think are anybody can enjoy those. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you typically play Avalon with any of them or have you played Avalon with any of them in the past? Um, I don't think I've played Avalon with them. No, I don't know if we've ever had a big enough group. Mm, okay. So I guess to, to give some background for our listeners, if you have not listened to the Game Brain podcast, if you pick any random episode, there's probably a 99.9% .9 chance you'll hear them talk about Resistance Avalon. <laughs> it is a big game yeah. within your group. And again, I'm sure you can speak better than I can on it. But it was a big part of your group, especially because you get, you know, 12 plus people and that game can play a lot of people. Mm, right. Uh, so that's the only reason why I'd asked just to see if that was one of them, mainly tying it together with Inside Job. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny because I'm the only person in our group that doesn't really enjoy Avalon. Um, probably. I just think I've just I've just burnt out on it. We've been playing it for 12 years and you try and get people to play, but there's always there's always some resistance, isn't there, when you suggest it. <laughs> <laughs> been working up to that one waiting for the right moment no it was great it was great uh yeah no i so i'm not the biggest fan of it so i inside job has been um revelatory for me and that it, it it lets me play a new you know uh hidden role game that our group doesn't feel they've solved and has like a really strong meta around and is you know nobody's allowed to divert from it in an interesting way yeah inside job is absolutely fantastic i'm on the same boat as you and that yeah. i don't really like avalon either when we first played it with my group that was a big one that my wife and some of her friends that were non-gamers we did play together a few times but you know it always ends up being a shouting match very quickly <laughs> of just you know yeah. who can lie louder and we just kind of got over it pretty quickly which i won't say inside job doesn't do that it's still a social deduction game most of those games end up that way but because mm -hmm. you can add the layer of the trick-taking to it, there's a little bit more going on and more that you're doing beyond just trying to lie at someone. So I think that helps. Right. Well, that, that's my biggest problem with Avalon is that I don't think there's much of a game there outside of the, the, the you know, the personality game of wills. And see, you know, who's... who's a better liar, who's a better argumenter, who has more energy that night at the end of the day to put on a show and you know i don't i don't personally enjoy acting for fun but our group does and i, I think i'm more tired at the end of the day than most of them because most of them don't have young children so the last thing i want to do is like get into a battle of wills and see who's you know who can win the cult of personality game 
I'd rather uh, play a game. Inside job, it does it in a clever way with the with the card play as well. It's not just a yeah. social deduction game. There, there are very few games like it within the genre. Obviously, we've got Shamans and we've got Inside Job. They're the only two that I can think of, unless you can think of any more, Ryan. Yeah. It's, um... uh, the National Budget Werewolf. I haven't played that myself, but I believe it's more of a climbing game right. that uses that a little bit. There's also another one that hasn't been translated at all. I actually, it's one of my unplayed copies, but it is a social deduction. It's I honestly don't remember the name. Because it's only in Japanese at this point, but like Hans Mitta something, it's got a very fun. Art I already, I already bought two copies of it while you while you were trying, trying to trying to, to poorly remember it. <laughs> I think he's on the pulse. Yeah, Jordan and David already have orders in for it. There you go. No one man in Japan. How did you find Inside Job compared to Shamans, Matty? You've played both of them. Yeah, I, I like them both. Shamans is definitely a little heavier and a little harder to get your brain around just the way that, you know, tricks don't just get played to the board and things like that. But um, it felt more like a game that also had, you know, uh, roll deduction in it, whereas uh, Inside Job felt like a roll deduction game, like, you know, first and foremost. And then the trick taking was just a natural part of it, whereas Shamans felt like little bit of a twist on that where it's you kind of got to wrap your head around the, you know how it's doing a spin on trick taking in addition to also being you know a, a hidden trader game yeah it's interesting but but it was it, it felt really you know interesting and, and meaty it was i mean it's funny because it was probably the first modern trick taker i played other than uh you know teach you or um uh what was the other ones i said the crew yeah. Um, yeah, so it was like a little bit of the deep end, and I, I didn't really realize it was the deep end, so it was, it was cool. Yeah, Cosmos is, is bringing some good games out with the crew, and, and Inside Job is yeah, the two are. on their list. So, yeah, those are pretty impressive two games mm -hmm. there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other one that I was thinking of was Sanmura Jinro. Rolls off the top. Don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But yeah, it's trick-taking that also uses drafting elements and it's set in the like werewolf type of social deduction games. Right. Cool. Well, always interested in a new social deduction game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one's got a lot of Japanese in the cards, though. So there's a lot of translations that need to be done before it can be played. Oh. Extracurricular activities. Get yeah. to work. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, still have to finish all the trick takers. Well, I guess that's true. I've already finished the trick taker stuff. We got to get it all set to like for the Kickstarter. So I'm I'm busy with that. After that, maybe I'll I'll, I'll look into doing it. That's exciting, right? Because trick takers. Have you played that massive? Have you had a chance to? I do. I have it. I love it. I it's it's. I actually forgot that I it, it's one of the games in my bag. The little deep end games along with Le Plateau that. I'll see if I can get my family to play this one. Yeah, that's great. You know, Trick Takers is really is a standout game for us because it's so different to all the other Trick Takers that are out there. Yeah. It does require a little bit of a teach, but I imagine compared to totally. you know, some of the 18xx games that you've taught before, it's probably a walk in the park for you. It's definitely on the easier side of, of, of games, but yeah, on the heavier side of Trick Takers, but that's fun. Yeah. That's, that's sort of cool to see that, you know, here's a game with it. Hold on, guys. This is a 15-minute teach. Everybody calm down. Yeah. Yeah. Heart rates are going up. And depending on how you play it, it's a five-minute gameplay. You're done faster than the teach. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I know. It is one of the few that plays faster than the teach. That's true. But then, but you never can play just once. You gotta mm. keep oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Different combination of characters, different ways you can try and win that yeah. you go for each time. 
And if you can ever get people through the base game, getting to the expansion. Yeah. Well, that's my next. So we've now played the base game a few times and I'm definitely going to bring the expansion out next. As soon as I can wrap my head around how the time Time traveler works. So good. Cannot quite get it. Uh, but I, I was also reading the rules to King's trick takers and like, I, you know, that also looks super interesting. And, and I, I have little trick takers and I still haven't quite wrapped my head around that either. So I, it's a fun little world. And it's interesting to see how they uh, continue to like iterate on on that you know, design idea of asymmetric, you know, players or cards or, you know, however they're playing with that. But asymmetry is always one of my favorite things to explore in, in board games or card games. Yeah, Hiroken has done an amazing job with the continuation of the Trick Taker series of all these different games. It's a big reason why being a part of PGC and wanting to get the English version over to us because I just instantly fell in love with that game when it first came out and there wasn't any English available. Like the amount of time that I took to go through all those paste-ups and translations, which... I'm not trying to brag or anything. There's so many other people out there that do an even better job on all these other crazy games. But he's like, done a great job. So many games. Yeah, yeah, he did. I I, I used your pay stubs. Yeah, I really wow. wanted to make sure this game could be out there to more people, just because I love it so much. Yeah, no, it it'll be really exciting to see you know the you know English speakers get get an opportunity to to easily play the game. And I it, I mean clearly you know games with high asymmetry have a have a large audience, as Root has proven. Um, and I think I think people are going to be really interested in it. Well, you know, you fall down the rabbit hole, Matthew, when you're pasting up your games as well, and certainly the Japanese ones. Yeah, are lots of paste up. Well, what's funny is like again, I, I keep going back to 18xx, but there are a lot of similarities between the hobbies because a large part of 18xx is print and play, because they have you know these games don't often get picked up by publishers until they've proven that the 18xx community wants them, and the 18xx community is so small that that often means everyone's played it, you know, and, and now is happy to, you know, get a nicer version to the table. So, you know, I'm very used to printing maps and laminating cards and cutting and having these little crafts that I do at night, you know, when I'm winding down, I enjoy that. So it, it was, it was, it was like felt, you know, super easy to just like, <laughs> so just a couple know, cards, <laughs> print out some awesome things and just, yeah, just cut them up and slide them into the sleeves. I was like, this is the easiest print and play I've done in a while. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, it's significantly quicker than a full board game. Yeah. So I even I made a print and play of Root and Food Chain Magnate and Great Zimbabwe. Oh my gosh! Wow. Oh my gosh! Yeah, those well, were that's so pains. many cards to make for Food Chain Magnate. It that's was. Wild. Oh yeah, I went through. That's hundreds. Yeah, I of went cards. through like three movies. That's amazing. <laughs> that is a good way to to judge the time. Yeah. Did you do the art for it as well? Were you drawing on it, the cards? Uh, no, I used the the actual art because my friend owned a copy. I scanned all of the cards in and then printed them out that way and then oh individually cut them all. Well, I laminated them too, so they actually have like a nicer, thicker That's feel dedication. to them. Yeah, I have right. played it once since I did that, and I absolutely regret making it. I don't really <laughs> like Food Chain Magnet that much. So oh, no. I don't know why I did it, but I did. And I can't like oh, sell funny. it. I can't really oh, dear, right. do anything with it. No. You didn't do the... Because no. it's not an official copy. Like I could just give it to someone who might enjoy it, but I'm just like, I spent all that time. At this point, it's just like an art piece for me. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Wow. You probably should have stopped at the ketchup expansion then. I didn't do the ketchup expansion. There's no way <laughs> I was done that. <laughs> yes, absolutely not. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this was, I did that way before the expansion was even out. And... What? 
I don't think I would right. have even if I did. It was so much to do for the for the base one. Yeah. So, that's but wild. I do like my Great Zimbabwe one. That one I'm proud of. That one I play all the time. Yeah, that's cool. That one doesn't sound too hard to do. I could see I could see mm, that working. Totally. Well, anyways, back to trick takers, because that's what this podcast is supposed to be about, right? What are we talking about? Board well, just games. Turn the great Zimbabwe into stuff. a trick taker and we can pivot to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can do trick of the rails. That's as much 18xx as we can allow for the rest of the show at this point. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, my question, though, actually, for you, Matt, is have you bought a copy of Schadenfreude yet? I can't find one. I would happily buy one. I'm dying to buy one. I, I haven't even been able to find one on Japanese websites. I, it's My Google Foo is, uh, has been defeated. I, I really tried hard. There are copies on uh, Badoge right now. <laughs> really see do you have to know can you type in schadenfreude or do you have to put in the actual like japanese yes and no it's very situational depending okay. on the game most of the time it needs yeah. to be the japanese version of the game you can always try the english first mm -hmm. if you don't get a result though then you do need to get the okay. japanese. japanese characters i've been so behind on yeah. making a, a tutorial video or a tips and trick video because i have that zen market video on on youtube for about how to use zen market Right. No, I watched that. It was very useful. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm glad. Um, but, but yeah, my plan was to also then do a tips and tricks video of like how to search for things because it can yeah. be difficult if you don't yeah. just type in Japanese. But I will say that uh, Cardboard East did a really good video on how to search oh, okay. some stuff as well and like specific keywords that can help you find things. But because they are not just trick taking okay. in specific, it's more of a broad board games in general. It doesn't give you the specifics to like find the trick-taking ones or the specific websites where you might find those games. But but basically, yes, uh, for Schadenfreude, you can actually just search that in English on Badoge and it'll come up. Really? You know. Okay. Well, there, there goes more money. <laughs> <laughs> but first thing what I always would recommend is go to BGG and see if the Japanese mm -hmm. title is in there. Yeah, I've yeah. done that. Yeah. I know, and I couldn't find like for Schadenfreude, I was couldn't find it. Yeah. And I still can't uh, pronounce it. And I've owned it for ages, and we all know that. It's, uh, yeah. I, I was calling it Scooty Fruity on the last episode. It makes it doubly as hard. Scooty <laughs> Fruity. It's continuing on the trend, but don't type it in like that because it won't come up. Definitely won't find it. No, no, it won't. Um, and the, and the German will be mad at you. Hundred percent. Oh yes. Yeah. So there you go. So it sounds like you can get yourself a copy through Badoge, which I'm, sh I'm sure you have yeah. a perpetual order still going through whatever forwarding service you use. Yeah, someone on the ground <laughs> in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's actually true. You know, Tom yeah. is there currently. I'm sure you can that's just pick right. up a copy. I it's know. I, I, it's yeah, on okay. the list. So I'm hoping he finds it and that saves me the Yeah, the there trouble. you go. Um, but yeah, so we, we played Schadenfreude and uh, you, you, you are also a wonderful teacher. I just want to take a moment to say you are I, as, as Thank a... You. Uh, a connoisseur of game teaching. I'm always noticing when somebody is is really good at it, and you were you were very you were great teaching. Insert round of applause. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. I, no, I you know. are. It is. It is. It's. A, it's an actual skill, and um, I pride myself on. I'm considering myself a good game teacher, and I I, I definitely recognize when others are really game recognized game. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this one. This one's awesome. This I'm really looking forward to diving. To, to Schadenfreude more and, and just the the whole which is funny because I, I just was reading the rules to Savage Bowl and it also has a second place mechanic going on yeah. in there um, and that's all that's really fun I, I love that 
those constraints of, of, you know, that, that little dance you have to do or sort of, you know, I guess trick avoidance is a part of that as well. But like voodoo prints reminds me of that, of just that totally different part of your brain it uses to not to win in the right way to not just win but to not lose and i, I think that's yeah, really and timing of when it happens depending on what round you're in how much you know, how many points you do have etc you know threading the needle based totally. on when you need to do it appropriately certainly makes it interesting yeah trick avoidance yeah. and trick taking the blend of the two yeah that's what makes it really interesting absolutely yeah and it has great scoring too, which I, I've found is is something that I that really helps me love a game is when the scoring feels really exciting and 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 fun. And Schadenfreude is the scoring of getting as close to forty without going over it is that's really fun. Too. Yeah, yeah, and it just it fits well with the theme of the game. For most trick taking games, the theme is barely there or pasted on. And while right. I won't say that like the full theme of this shines through when you're necessarily playing, just the way scoring works and the canceling each other out if two players are tied after someone goes over just like yeah it's just it's very funny yeah you're at the sharp end of the sword yeah no the tying the tying thing is the tying part is definitely the shot and freud i think yeah. you know and that the person who did much worse than you is laughing at you for <laughs> doing so doing exactly as well as the mm -hmm. other player yeah. did you say it gave you stick and vibes matty when we played it i think maybe you made a stick and comment yeah yeah which is interesting yeah yeah i can see that as well just in that in in that uh I guess what feels a little more take that -y, a little more aggressive. Yeah. Which also Savage Bull has a bit of. I'm excited to get that to the table soon and see. That also feels a little a little savage. <laughs> I think what's what's fitting. Yeah. What's sort of an interesting thing, and, and I'd like to whether it's on a future episode or just following up in general and conversation on how you feel about games, I think it's always really cool when people play certain games that are similar to each other in a different order than somebody else. So for example, Ooh, like mm -hmm. playing 99, the older David Parlett game, and there's also prophecy, which is like a newer twist on the game. And then there is dealer's dilemma, which is designed by Shreesh, the designer of Orem. And they're all like similar takes mm -hmm. on 99, but it's just like, when you play mm. which one can make you have a difference of opinion on you know the original or the newer one so something like schadenfreude right. playing that yeah. first and then going to savage bowl they might be similar or, or even stick them being similar enough but then right which one you play before the other i think is always an interesting you know thought experiment i don't know where i'm going with this but <laughs> like it's yeah, just yeah. yeah no it's true or, oh i played i played shamans before inside mm -hmm. job too yeah exactly so you know the two social deduction games and it's like you might be predisposed to like the first one you played more just because it's the one you're going to start comparing the other game to but if you played them the other way around like how would it have been and it's just always fun to be able to get other people's perspectives on the order they do play those games yeah absolutely i think there's something in the the first game prejudiced a little bit because when you've got players around the table and Perhaps one of them elicits a laugh one of the players is playing and really enjoys the game and you get good feedback. And then you bring out the other game and people are like, oh, I'd rather now I've played that one, can't we just... And they get rules mixed up and maybe somebody's less engaged yeah. that day. That can really affect what how you perceive a game and with the group that you're... Yeah, we have... Well, there's a lot of that in board gaming with, you know, Ark Nova and Terraforming Mars or Gaia Project and Terra Mystica or Agricola and Caverna. There's always these yeah. sort of 
pairs of, well, Agricola and Caverna are the same designer, but the rest of them are, you know, sort of people being a little uh, inspired by, you know, the other, I guess, actually, <laughs> Kaya Project and Terra Mystica are the same designers yeah. too, but different iterations that some people swear is the only one and the other is, you know, the the crap version and then you know there's you'll find different camps for it but yeah it's always which is why and it's great because it's like there will be the people who are like oh no the og the original idea of it is the only one to play and there are people like well right. actually no the new one you know fixed some of these issues or add in a new twist that i think is better than what the original one has or if you're like me you like the original then the new one comes out and you instantly think the new one is better and then like two years later, you realize, no, the original was better. And you just do that loop forever. <laughs> the infinite loop. Yeah, the infinite loop of like realizing the other one is, no, actually that one was better. And then just doing that forever. You know, actually, I think that's probably the best approach to have on it, though, because it almost lets you rediscover sure. the game you've played over again to think like, no, okay, this one is the better one. So now I have to go back to the other one and play it again yeah. to see and confirm, oh, no, no, this one is better. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny. I was obsessed with obsessed with Terra Mystica when it first came out, like so many gamers were. And then Gaia Project came out and I actually sold Terra Mystica because of how much I loved Gaia Project. And then I rebought Terra <laughs> Mystica because I re I played it at somebody's house and I realized I liked it so much more than Gaia Project. And yeah, so that's things we do in this hobby. Yeah, of course. Where would you throw Clans of Caledonia in between those games as well? Because that's compared to it. Oh, uh, yeah, I love Clans. And that to me is one that feels like an interesting enough iteration and it has a special place in my heart too because it was like one of the first games i got at essen and met the designer there when i traveled to germany for for essen many years ago and uh we were so we played at the entire convention like and it's small enough that we were able to play it like in pubs in germany that's and awesome like yeah I, that that uh, that's a never sell game for me even though we don't get oh, to take yeah that, that game is so good that's my number one tied number one game with great zimbabwe i absolutely love that game yeah oh, super amazing. excited for the expansion no, it's beautiful it's beautiful clans of caledonia the the trick take yeah that's the one. Oh, yeah. oh baby <laughs> <laughs> and the the designer has his first new game out right now on kickstarter yeah jumail juju has uh the thiefdom that's right yeah, uses art from the Miko, which people right. in the hobby will probably be familiar more on the Shem Phillips Garfield games. Um, yep. The series of... I'm a big fan of that artwork. Yeah, different directions, cardinal directions. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I was an instant back for me. And and one of the few Kickstarters where you're, where you're surprised by the price, but in a good way. <laughs> I'm so often going to Kickstarters and going, oh, I'd love to play this game. No, are you kidding? $250? What are you doing? This one, it was like 30 yeah, maybe bucks. Maybe I'll get it at retail, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like $30. And I was like, what? This is Kickstarter. What are you? Come on, man. Raise your prices. Yeah, there has to be a catch. It must be in the shipping and the customs charges. Something. Yeah. Oh, that was great, though. So, yeah, so they ship it around the world twice. So, charge it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they actually—that's just the shipping cost. They won't tell you the cost of the game until after. Right. Right. Santa Claus logistics <laughs> yeah. comes from the North Pole. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, so just talking about some other games that we played together. I know yeah. the three of us—we were able to play Pups, which is a lovely game. I think a little weaker at yeah. three players, but. I will absolutely enjoy that game no matter the player count. And it seemed like you had some enjoyment. There was a little middle of the game frustration on in your failed bid a couple of times, but. 
Yeah. Oh, I, I really like it's the one I think I've thought about the most after the fact. And, and I, I really like the bit. It's it's it is a bit brutal and, and which I which I'm drawn to in games. I like I like punishing games that feel like there's a high skill ceiling. Um, I don't like punishing games that feel like it's punishing because it's random. But I really enjoy a game that I'm bad at, but I know it's my fault. And and I definitely got that feeling from Pups that it was. You know, if I was a little better at reading my hand and, and hitting those bids right or not or just not being so greedy and trying to, you know, get my perfect bid. Like, I, I think I said at some point, if I had just hedged my bet a bit every time, I'd be doing fine right now. But you get into that gambling loop of, well, now I'm down, so I've got to gamble bigger to get back. And you just do that forever until you've dug a hole you can never get out of. Right. There's this. But it, it was really fascinating. The flexibility of being able to say, I want at least X amount of tricks. And then you're actually, actually, no, forget it. I'm just going to try and hit this amount of tricks and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it exactly is worth double the amount of points. It's like, why would I right. do at least when yeah. I can go big, go home? I'm going to do it and try and get double points. And you end up missing it three, four yeah. rounds in a row. <laughs> As I did. Yeah. Now it, I really, I really enjoy bidding. That's one of the things I've learned. I've really loved in, in Trick Takers. I really like it in Cat in the Box. I, I really like it in uh, Ghost of Christmas. Like uh, and um, uh, Nokusu. I love the way no Nokus Dice does it. Um, so yeah, I, I think I've found that bidding is something I'm really into in games, and and, mo and mostly because there is a higher skill ceiling there that I feel like is something to work towards, and I really. I enjoy having something to work towards in a game I'm learning. Yeah. As soon as you add bidding into a trick taker, it increases the the skill level needed to understand not only the flow of the game yeah. itself, but how to read a individual hand, knowing what yeah, could win, totally. what can't win, what could you slough off to avoid if midway through you want a trick you weren't expecting to win, like being able to analyze that the beginning and during is definitely a little bit more difficult. That's why I like a lot of those moving bid type games, like you said, with Nokus Dice and Seven mm. Segment Tricks. Those ones are really fun. Yep. Yeah, I just ordered a Twinkle Starship from uh, uh, what's the the website in Texas, but uh, yeah, Tanuki Games. To, yes, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to get that as well because <clears throat> Seven Segment the Segment Tricks looked really like a fun twist on uh noku's dice and uh, yeah i was excited to try that yeah i'm always a fun when they give you bidding in a dynamic way that it's not the end of the world you're not pinned to one number as a hard line you've got the ability to pivot and adapt and play tactically based on your bid and and how the flow of the game's going i think pups was really nice in that sense wasn't it because you can you can go for zero, which kind of gives you another way of getting back into the game later and having these different ways to to play out the hand. Whereas for me, yeah. you know, some games, I go to Christmas, you've got the tiny Tim variant, which is cool as well. But when there's a hard line, yeah. it can be, on people who don't play as many trick takers, for example, it can be more stressful the first time you get your hand of cards and you're trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, and you don't want your your the the score to be related to how high your bid is, which I think is I agree with you guys that that's sort of the the pitfall that um, Ghost of Christmas falls into is that you know it puts you in this position where you have no choice but to you know bid high regardless of the quality of your hand in order to have a chance. 
um, yeah, I, I like the way that Nocus does that and that it's, you know, I, I, I think that's a really fun twist of like the bonus score that you get is based on how many other people hit their bids because it, it, it makes you stay focused on other people losing their bids, which is almost as fun as being focused on winning your own. Yeah, it, and it adds to the interactivity around the table that, as we said a little right. bit earlier, it's that heads up you know, mentality, you're, you're paying more attention to right. what everyone's doing the whole time because you're knowing, okay, they're especially specifically Nocus dice. When you see what color dice a player has and you've got lead, you have control over potentially forcing the play a die to change their bid, what it might end up being. And so you're always sort of slowly paying attention to all the players as that's happening and seeing how many tricks they currently have and what's the range of tricks they could take with their current dice and what would happen if I played this color to force right. them out of that die. Yeah, we had a really great game of Nocus Dice where in one round I realized that the only way I could win is if everybody hit their bid and nobody got any points. And so that whole round I was focused on making sure that everyone <laughs> hit their bid and like, you know, making them play dice they didn't want to play so that it would, <laughs> you know, equal the amount of tricks they had. And it was, that was a really fun, like everybody, like not realizing that they were going to lose by winning. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. A little one V all sloughing round. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I like your strategy awesome. there. I didn't actually think of it like that. Um, when I played the game, obviously, I'm, yeah, everybody's, you're right. Everybody's focused on trying to get their bid. So you're just thinking about it slightly different there, Matty. Just shows the the different levels of strategy that you could employ. I like it. <laughs> well, there's a bit of luck involved of in that because they have to have chosen the wrong dice in front of them that also equals, uh, you know, the, the number of tricks they maybe didn't want to win. Yeah, it's not perfectly calculable, but that's that, the nice thing about the game as well. Right. Yeah, maybe that's the true shooting the moon of Nocus dice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but Pups is great. If you found Schadenfreude so easily online, now do the same thing for Pups. Oh, yeah, I wish I could. <laughs> I can I can easily find you the promo pack. You can get that through Binking's website itself. Without the base game. That's... All right. I'm just going to have to wait for PGZ to reprint it. Uh, yeah, right. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Ryan's like the ambassador <laughs> for that game. It's basically whenever I think of Ryan and trick taking, I think pups, uh, Yokai Scepter, maybe trick takers the game. But it's those two games, pups and Yokai Scepter, that really stand out for yeah. a Ryan, if you like. So is that fair? I would personally put trick takers before pups, just in the order of that. I would agree that okay. yeah, pups is still up there for me. Will always will be. So yeah. I, I covered I would, my back. I mentioned it. So I thought, well, I'll cover it. I'll yeah, just put it, insert yeah, it there just to, in case. Yeah. That is that is absolutely one game that I think needs to be in more people's homes or more retail stores for people to mm. play or just having an opportunity to play that game. It's just, it's so good. Yes, it's got bidding. So it's going to be yeah. a little bit harder to try and introduce to non-gamery or lighter uh, group, you know, that doesn't necessarily like trick-taking as much. But the way it uses bidding with the at least and exactly and having that zero bid being a buffer zone for later rounds is just really clever. And then that extra mutt suit being cards you can add on to cards in your hand or being an yeah. extra suit. It's just super cool because then it changes up the dynamic of, well, we have you know seven cards in hand in a normal game. That's going to be seven tricks. But in this game, you can have less tricks. Right. So now you have to analyze your hand on, well, and we might not actually play out the full round of, you know, quote unquote, full round of seven. Right. So trying to figure out, okay, if I don't have any mutts cards in my hand, 
There's a better chance the other players probably do. So they're going to probably try and rush it or whatnot. Yeah, it's just it's really good, well put together game all around. For a mutt follow game, it's absolutely fun. The, the auxiliary, auxiliary cards. <laughs> Stop, <laughs> Stop encouraging him. I'm just hearing. You, you laugh like that. You encourage him too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't encourage him enough. So I'm sure he loves having you on here right now. No, I, I do. Thank, thank, no, how that. do I? How do I make more <laughs> puns? Out there we go. Just, just, uh. just wait for the pause, and then I'll inject them into the conversation. You can be sure. <laughs> You must have a lot of children to have the the strong of dad joke energy. I think I'm preparing. Well, I don't at the moment, but I've been told that when I do have children, I'm very well prepared. So they're getting stored in the bank for that. Yeah, yeah, you're ready. They won't have heard them either. So it'll be like they're hearing ready. them for the first time. And I don't have children and I don't plan on it. So that's probably why I have no tolerance for the puns. <laughs> I'm just like, no dad jokes allowed. <laughs> But, but yeah, the butts, awesome. the, the auxiliary cards, such a clever little bit of spice into the game. I would call Pups sort yeah. of bidding light game. It's a bidding game that is not too punishing because there's always a way back in. Even if you've got the gambler's roulette table mentality of chasing your losses and keep playing the, uh, you know, I haven't won it this time, I'm going to keep playing it. Bid. Yeah, but you don't have to do that, do you? You can be a lot more conservative than our reckless strategies that we followed right no i I learned my lesson (laughs) yeah but the nice thing is when you rebid a failed bid you can choose either side so if you bid like exactly three on a previous round and you failed it in the next round you're like okay well i could at least get three with this hand versus the exact you can choose (laughs) to flip it over if you want but you never do because why would you you always got a bid exact right (laughs) Uh, yeah well one of the other games we played together uh, which we played right after Pups, was Pompiers. Yeah. The firefighter-themed competitive version of the crew, basically. Yeah, and I should mention that I, I that was delivered while we were uh, recording just now. I got oh. I was saying that it's in my mailbox. Oh, yeah. Outside. I mean, please, you can uh, go so pick I'll it up be, right now. I'll be throwing like. that in my bag. The, the fire truck <laughs> went by and delivered it to you, door. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm I'm actually very excited to bring that one. I didn't expect it to come today before I leave on this trip. So, uh, yeah, that'll be a good one. I think <sighs> I just got like secondhand high from you, like talking about Savage Bowl showing up, <laughs> Pompier showing up. You've got all these. Like, know, I'm just like, oh, I man, I, I feel I, I bet it feels good to get all these things in the mail. <laughs> 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 I know this is the exciting part of the hobby where you know you're you're just getting into something and all these packages are showing up and the remorse hasn't <laughs> set in yet of the you know the, the 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 shelf of shame of unplayed games yet the honeymoon phase oh absolutely but I think it it's lovely to to see a newer group of people especially you know someone as as awesome as you guys having the game brain podcast talking about it and, and hearing it from you know that new perspective of of your group whether it's you personally yeah. or anyone else in in the group itself seeing a lot of these games that were a lot harder to find and now there's so many yeah. people in whether it's the pgc discord server or your server and the game brain server or wherever else it's just having more people being aware of these games and a lot more people starting to import games and we're just seeing a lot more reviews and people talking about a lot of these trick takers that 
there was only like yeah. 20 or 30 people that were really mentioning anything online. Yeah. Good luck getting any games now. Yeah. Though. Now, now Marty's bought them all. It's about to blow. It's yeah. A- That's always the problem with, you know, <laughs> things becoming more quote unquote mainstream. Like it's, it's great. Cause you know, I absolutely am not a person to want to be a gatekeeper at all. Like, I want to shout these games. Yeah, like yeah. I said, I want pups. I want more people to play it. I want more people to play That's trick takers. Yeah, I want more people to have access to more of these yeah. games. But a big problem of it, though, is that because a huge majority of these games are still being made, designed, published by the smaller companies or literally just the designer themselves, only having a 500 print run or less, it makes it really hard. You have to yeah. get in that race now of being the first one to it or you're probably missing out on it. Does that mean summer season it? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a good like growing pain moment in the hobby probably where things are going to get really hard to get as, as more and more people get into it. But then you'll hit the point where the print runs start getting bigger. And, you know, it takes a little longer to get the games, but then the print runs last a little longer because, the, you know, people have started to realize there's a little more money in the hobby than there was before. And we've, we've seen it happen in 18XX where it was like a period of time where every game was impossible to get because the amount of people who got interested in it grew so fast that you know like even like crappy old 18 xs nobody cared about like people were just scooping them up on anytime anything would go for sale on you know the bgg market and now we're at a point where like you know major publishers well major publishers XX world exactly are doing you know five ten thousand game print runs and like they're in stock for two years before they sell out and you know it's definitely like you don't actually have to be as crazy with the fomo right now in 18 xx because there, there really is enough for everybody yeah, I think while I'd want to be positive on it and say that that's where trick taking could end up, it's going to take a while, I think, for that to really happen. Right. Because of where majority of these games are coming from is Japan and the culture right. around the reason why games are created and sold is a little bit different than in the US and in Europe, where they are right. making larger print runs now because of that demand. I I don't see, not that I'm an expert on Japanese culture whatsoever. It's mainly just my experience of, of trick-taking and, and being close enough to some of these designers and stuff and just hearing how their process is. They're more focused on just making this passion project just out in the world. Something they designed, whether it was over a weekend or a yeah. month or two months and just get it out there at a Tokyo game market. Once it's sold out, it's it. That's done. And like, that's fine. They made some money off of it, but like, that's not the plan. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, I, I think that's a wonderful model and it's, you know, it, it's a little bit what Splatter does as well. And, you know, this like, we don't want to print 20,000 of this because we don't, it's, we don't have the time. We have other jobs. Like we, you know, we don't even have the time to like, have a bigger warehouse to store all these games. I was like, that's it guys. Like, you know, and if nobody buys them, okay, you know, we'll move on to the next one. And if they sell out instantly, okay, we'll still move on to the next one. I mean, there's definitely a lot of artistic integrity in that. But doesn't it make these, these games more alluring because you, you just imagine there's some, you well, know, sure. a designer out there in Japan with his cup of coffee, come home from work at the end of the day, designing these games, doing all the calculations taking it off to Tokyo Games Market and then saying, well, this is it. You know, there's 20 copies and it almost makes you want it more. Yeah, of course. But I I don't know, after being in this hobby for, you know, 13 and 15 years, whatever it is now, there are no 
masterpiece games that don't eventually get reprinted. They just, there just aren't like, they're just the really, really good games. They may be forgotten about for five years, maybe even 10 years, but like eventually you're going to get your hands on it. Like I can't tell you the amount of like Holy grails. I thought I would never own that. Now I could just buy on Amazon. You know? yeah. Like there's the really good games are, are, you know, there's still, there may be more and more games being produced than ever, but there's still the same amount of really good games being produced every year. Yeah. And, and the fact that there are publishers like Portland game collective, new mill industries oh, right. that all play, that are starting to bring these games to the Western market, ones that were smaller yeah. from the Japanese designer specifically, they might've only been doing the 500 print run, but now you have companies that can do larger print runs and, and make these games more available. And I'm sure yeah. there's going to be more and more publishers as the years go on with how big trick taking has been this past year, how many more people are being aware or being shown these games with again the crew inside job cat in the box just all these yeah. games it's going to be more and more so i definitely think it's going to happen i, I wouldn't disagree that it won't yeah. i just think it might take a little longer than some of the other mechanics totally. that went faster and i think haggis is a good example of that like haggis is a masterpiece that is an incredible design and it's like just a perfect card game design and like, you know, you guys, are, it's coming back and it's been gone forever. It's been, you know, impossible to get for a decade. I remember I remember when you could walk into game stores and there was dozens of, of haggis on the shelves for so long. And I I, remember, I never got one because I just wasn't yeah. into two player card games. And I always remembered like, like uh, you could have gotten haggis so easy <laughs> for so long and then it's just gone forever. I was so glad to hear you guys were bringing it back. And Sean Ross is smiling somewhere as, he, as he's listening to this podcast <laughs> and Getting these Japanese games, I thought, well, I'm buying them, but I'm never going to be able to move them on if I don't like them because they're so obscure. Who's going to know what mm-hmm. this, you know, this game is in, in the Western world? But as a recent sales post has taught me, the response to it was, have you got American Bookshop? First query. Five minutes later, I had three or four different messages in my inbox asking me, had I still got American Bookshop available? Two years ago, I'd never yep. have dreamed that was a even a thing where people had heard of these games. So the word's getting out, and that's yeah. going to help the production runs. Yeah. Well, and the PGC Discord is such a great community too. And the, you know, it seems like if you're not happy with something, someone in that community will be happy to find it a better home. Yeah, games sell quick in there. Yeah. yeah i know that's like i've so many times i've looked on and been like oh that's i want that's oh it's gone five minutes ago okay yeah, there's a few shocks mm-hmm. about yeah you usually get about 30 seconds to a minute after someone posts and then you're right? too late it's crazy yeah that's a good sign of a very healthy and active community i think or, or just a lot of people with fomo it's probably a little <laughs> bit both. of both but you know right yeah. if you're selling a copy of pups don't forget to tag matty in with your sales post is that what we're saying? <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, so a couple other games that I actually got to play with you, Maddie. We played yesterday, in fact, with a few people yep. from the Game Brain podcast. And uh, the first mm-hmm. one we played was Lay Plateau, which we sort of mentioned a little bit earlier that you're going to be yep. bringing with the family to potentially play. This yep. is uh, a game that uses a French tarot deck. 
and uses a board mm -hmm. to like place pieces around sort of area control style in a sense where you're trying to complete a specific pattern based on what you bet at the beginning or bid on. And it's a really good team game. And we ended up playing it with five players, which I think a general consensus is like that's the best player count. Yeah, I think purely just because the scoring is so much more fun mm -hmm. at five where and the declarer gets twice as many points as their teammate, which is just makes a lot of really fun and interesting, uh, you know, ways of the score changing a lot every round. How accessible is this game, this Lee Plateau? And I'm only asking this because I've made myself a board, got myself a load of tarot cards together, and I keep looking at it on the, she looking at it on the shelf and thinking, tonight's going to be the night, Lee Plateau. And then sort of go, oh, actually, I don't think it's particularly complex, but it's just because of the unfamiliarities no. of, the, of the tarot cards to me, I've just left them on the shelf. So just for a bit of perspective. I think the most complicated part is the bidding. Outside of the bidding and understanding, you know, the, the different increasing bids and exchange or no exchange or why or fork or the different shapes, it's a pretty bog right. standard trick taker, you know, and, and with, with the only twist, which I guess is pretty common for French tarot games, is the must trump, which I had never seen before, um, which is great and really fun and like really makes a lot of uh, makes hands go a lot different than they would want to go often <laughs> where you're winning hands. You didn't necessarily want to win, or, you know, you really wanted to save your trumps for other more important hands. And it adds a fun level of um, needing to read your opponent's hands a bit and, you know, sort of poke at their, their hands a bit to see what's in there and what falls out, you know, so you can start, you know, building the shapes you need. Yeah. And it's a game where, the choosing of partner can always be a really fun or just like horrible decision because when you pick once someone is a declare the person who essentially bid the highest went for the the most difficult thing in the round to try and complete they will pick a card that will then determine who their partner is and this is just going to be another random person at the table you don't really know you just announce the card and they say well I'm your partner but you don't really know anything else about their hand. And they might've been a person who passed during the bidding phase because they're just like, oh, my hand's terrible. I'm not going to be doing well this turn. So when you end up getting partnered with somebody who doesn't have a really good supportive hand for you, it always makes it tight and interesting on how you can still find a way to make it work. Okay. Yeah. You have, you have a good shot at finding a useful uh, partner. At least you're guaranteed to get one card you want from them. But um, you, you may, as happened to you yesterday, really not want to be picked because you know how bad your hand is. And you just happen to have one good card and a whole bunch of stinkers in there, which is definitely uh, <laughs> doom for both players. Yeah, I had to apologize to my partner who picked me. I was like, we are not going to get this this round. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when you're making these... There's a lot of there's geometry going on because obviously you're taking over this board. Do you find it quite easy mm -hmm. to pass? Because I remember looking at the the different combinations you could make and the the fork and the bridges and and things where you, you know taking over the, the lay plateau board. In terms of looking at it and spatially and assessing your hand, do you find that to be easy to do, or do you find that takes quite a bit of crunching? 
Well, I, 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 as somebody who's only played it a couple times now, I, to me, it's just, I think you can judge the strength of your hand in a typical way you would judge the strength of your hand. And it's less about the shapes you can make in your hand as much mm-hmm. as how, how much control do you have over winning right. tricks because all the cards are going to come out. So the board will be, everything on the board will happen unless it's one of the three cards in the Talon, which if it's usually not going to be an important card if somebody has seen it and taken it already. But outside of that, it's really, if you have a lot of trump and a lot of high cards, you're going to win a lot of the positions you need in order to make the shape you need. And of course, if you look at your hand and you have all the cards that are, you know, to win a straight line across, then you can, you know, almost guarantee a bridge or whatnot. But for the most part, you're not going to have enough to get anything in your hand. It's going to be about how many tricks can you guarantee to win. If you have the star and the 21 and a couple other trumps and like you've got a strong. Yeah, and it's explaining the game this is a bridge this is a fork and things like that do you find people generally pick that up quite quick <laughs> i still struggle with the fork right. and things like that especially because certain positions on the board count as two sides so that always makes my brain have to like do some extra work there but the main point mm-hmm. on the corner yeah. counts as the two yeah that's always in the in the every game I have played, even with people who are, you know, quote unquote experienced and have played it before, it always takes a couple seconds to be like, oh wait, have we gotten it yet? No, oh no, we still need that one co- yeah, yeah, did we just win? No, we still need that, you know, we need the the king of hearts still, and then we'll connect. And then other people will like take a couple seconds to actually confirm is that true? And they'll wait, no, 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 you also need this other one. And so sometimes to ever after every trick, analyze the board and figure out what's still left does take a little bit of time. Yeah, I think that's where I was getting it. That's the only thing that's made me pause and go, wait, is it tonight? Or am I going to try and explain what a fork is to my friends tonight? You know, that's, I've got a couple of spoons in the cupboard and a couple of knives, but I know I'll work myself up to it. Yeah, I think the, the vast majority of hands, though, it's pretty obvious. And it, 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 it's only happened a few times where I've had to sort of sit and really figure out if, you know, if it's pretty usually pretty clear if you've done it or not, I think is what I'm saying. Lots of the other colors pieces, you're not getting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Half of the board gone, you didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that's reassured some of the listeners to to give Lee Plateau a go because a lot of it's, I know it's very well regarded. And you say you've got your own board, Matty, as well. I've I've loved it. Yeah, I've I really like it. I I, I love it. I'm really into it. And it's uh, you got the uh, wooden board from Brown Castle Games, correct? Yeah, I bought it off their Etsy, and they were nice enough to send me a couple extra tiles for the decks that have the uh, RD CV, uh, and you know, and and, and the also the the King Queen Jack C as well. Yeah, and so Brown uh, Castle Games is actually going to be at Origins Games Fair. This is going to air after the fact, so unfortunately, not going to be able to hear it by then. But hopefully, if anyone's going, definitely check out their booth at the location and if not even if after the fact check out their website yeah they are fantastic people very quick to communication if you have any questions on anything customization on the orders for like the specific pieces like maddie was saying they're they're really great with stuff like that what a great boon for that game too which Absolutely. you know i mean like people I, I would have printed my own version but just having it like that just gives it so much weight on the table Presence. it makes it makes other people interested it, it just it makes it seem like oh People are building custom boards. This what is this? This must be like as cool as Crokinole or something. It must be good. Yeah, it must be must be really important. You know, this seems like a game I should know about. You know, they they gave it a lot of heft there. The evolution of my boards is pretty funny. I started out with a piece of paper printed out, 
Then I laminated that piece of paper. I knew lamination was coming. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Laminate everything. <laughs> and then I got a 3D printed one and then finally got the Brown Castle Games one. And that's at this point, that is the final version. Cause yeah, that one's it's so great. Beautiful. And their pieces are really nice too. Really high I've quality. I've just got a fellow tokens for mine, so I'm a little bit jealous of your boards, but I should play it first to see if people like it, and then maybe I'll pivot and get a board. Yeah, it's a good time. Board. Yeah. And the other one we played, a little bit crazier than Lay Plateau, was Touchdown Heroes. So we ended up doing that at four because yeah. the fifth person ended up dropping like off. It. So we, yeah, we played one game of Touchdown Heroes, and I was the only one who had played it before. So teaching it to, to three new people, and I actually I love teaching that game. It's so fun. The rugby game, right? That's the one. The rugby game, absolutely. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and and this time the group of people that I. I was teaching it to all new American football. So as we said in the past on our episode where we've talked about touchdown heroes, if you don't know the game of football, some of the thematic touch to that game, when you're explaining the rules is a little bit more difficult. So the teach went a little bit smoother because of that, which was great. No, I I really liked it. And uh, it, 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 it's like the right, I mean, you give me asymmetric player powers and I'm like, you're already halfway to getting me like your game, even if if I don't like anything after that. So I was already in on that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's really cool. I mean, you know, I could see the dice rolling part of it being a little annoying to me if we rolled, we rolled really well, uh, which is a tough sentence to say. And, um, I don't like when I roll really well in a game because then it just makes me feel like I didn't actually earn them, uh, you know, because we were getting, I mean, we lost, which I liked. That, that made me like like the game more. I was like, okay, good. Our, <laughs> our, our you know, our ungodly yeah. dice rolling was not enough to win the game. But I think if I had won purely just because I like rolled a six two times, I would have been like, <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, <clears throat> the actual trick taking was really fun. It's definitely a, a zany, a zany trick taker for sure. Yeah, you could say that. The hybrid of the, shall this hand be a may follow, uh, sorry, yeah. this round, or should it be a must follow, and trying to decide which way you go with it, and having that flexibility, it really is a, a, a game that stands out on its own from pretty much all the other trick takers I've played. Obviously, throwing in the the rugby, the, the American football in the center as well, and having that move around between the teams is so clever. Uh, even if it is chaotic, you can appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. No, I'm into it. It's one I'll keep an eye out for if I find it anywhere. It's definitely got some cool stuff going on. And Manifest Destiny, the, the publisher for Touchdown Heroes, also has a lot of other really good thematic games. Uh, Just Heroes, as I was sort of telling you guys after yeah. we played Touchdown Heroes, is another good trick-taking game from them that is a cooperative or competitive, depending on the rule set you want to use, where you're all superheroes trying to fight villains, and you're doing it by playing cards and the numbers you add them up all together, and you're trying to reach a certain total number threshold. If you're too high or too low, mm. you're going to fail, so you're trying to always be just right as many tricks as you can. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that sounds fun. I'm into that. And the art, I like the artwork a lot, too. <laughs> like with almost every Japanese game, the, the art on these games is the first hook. Before you even yeah, know anything about the game, it, it's gotten yeah. a lot of people to buy games. I don't know, uh, Maddie, if you've, if you've uh, ever heard of the being Shinigami Preschooled. No, what's that? It's a catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. 
So there's a game called Shinigami Preschool. Okay. And it's very cute art done by Saibetbu with okay, a bunch of sure. these little ghosts that are like little kindergartner ghosts. Little okay. tiny cute okay. things on all the cards. From Reaper things. Yeah. And the game itself is pretty lackluster at best. Right. I am always a firm believer that every game is for somebody somewhere. There is right. somewhere out there in the world that somebody loves loves this game. And I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. But I will say almost everybody who bought this game within the PGC Discord server did not like it. I don't know anyone who has. And right. if anyone is listening and you do like this game, please let me know. I, let, I would love to we'll hear if you had a good experience with this game. But basically, this was a game that nobody knew how it played. We only mm-hmm. knew it had cute Sai Beppu art. Right. Which, I and mean, honestly, after seeing Sai's art on Nana and the, you know, so many other games, it's like, I, I get it. I'm in. Mock just dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And and the art can be a dangerous thing because of that. I don't mean dangerous probably isn't the right word that's making it a bit <laughs> scarier than it actually is. But with how difficult a lot of these games can be, as we always are a broken record about that, and the FOMO that is a bit more aggressive on this. If people just go, Oh, this is a pretty game, I'm in, I'll get it first and then see how it plays. And you're like, okay, well, actually, this game wasn't good at all. Yeah. It's like, well, then why did you spend the time getting it? There's so many other pretty games out there that are good. Yeah. So then the catchphrase came around, well, you've been shinning on me preschool. I don't want to be shinning on me preschool. So better do my research, right? That's, That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> or not awesome if you're the designer of that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that so it's designed by Kenichi Kabuki. And okay. Kenichi has made... Many, many right. games that have so many fantastic ones, 535 being one of right. them. So they, they, they're allowed um, to have a couple Burglar. misses. They, they've, they've earned their place. Yeah, exactly. So, like, it's totally understandable. Well, even Nitsi has got his misses. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably more misses than most other people have games at all. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Nightmare Millionaire, I know, is another right. new one from them that's a Sai Kenichi. I mean, they're almost sort of like the powerhouse of the Japanese trick taking world, I think, at this point. They've made a lot of games. They've collabed together, if you will, uh, with a lot of different games. Uh, and actually, uh, Kabuken, fantastic game. I would highly recommend looking into that one. Not okay. trying to do any FOMO at all. No, but please. that is a really good uh, two or three player game. But if you can want to add the expansion, you can go up to like seven. But it's this really fun card battler that's sort of a shedder that's sort of a trick taker but not really at all i don't know it's it's super good there's basically different combinations of cards you can play yeah super pretty art yeah it's a very fun game i highly recommend it all right cool i'll check it out yeah and and the photo on bgg was taken by you (laughs) it was absolutely that was in my phase where i was adding a lot of games to bgg that weren't on there. And I go, it's funny, I go through a lot of those cycles of like what I want to upload now. I'll add right. a bunch of games to BGG and they'll be like, all right, I did too many. I'll start making PCIO rooms and then I'll get a little faded off of that and then right. I'll start doing pay stuff. So it just cycles through. You have more geek gold than you know what to do with now. Oh, yeah. Tossing it out everywhere as I can. <laughs> if only that could convert into trick takers, right? <laughs> oh, man. 10 billion. Geek I'd be gold. uploading so many things. <laughs> you got yeah, right? a Japanese imported game. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, Manny, I guess it was there any other game that we hadn't talked about 
today so far that's really been on your brain as uh you guys like to to say within your podcast what what's really been on your mind that's a trick taker or climber shedder or whatever yeah i mean i mean i'm excited let's see I'll, I'll just hit you with the things i've ordered recently that i'm excited to get i'm excited to get twinkle starship um that looks really up my alley i'm excited to get seas of strife which also looks really up my alley oh, so um, good planet i guess we call it planet cute although the cute is backwards that looks really fun as well i mean i i i like maskman a lot but i found it really sort of tough to teach because it's such a it's a little hard to wrap your brain around in terms of i don't like it, uh, having a slightly simpler version of maskman sounded exciting to me um because i really like the gameplay of that as well um what else have i ordered that i'm excited for um I think that might be it. Oh, and then uh, what did I get yesterday? I ordered a copy of, oh, Tall Tales, which also sounds really fun. Oh, so I didn't actually know. This sounds daft because I'm always doing these puns and wordplay and things. Until you said it now, you were like, this is actually cute backwards. I didn't make that connection. And I don't know why. And I was thinking, what's this planet Ituk all about? You know, where's <laughs> the Ituk coming from? You've only, I've just made a revelation. So thanks for that. Cause yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, penny drops, right? Maybe it's the the writer in me that is noticing strangely spelled words. I like it. Oh. Or just call it ambient abyssal. Yeah, OG Some name. Might have if discovered you want, that today so. too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are are you also aware? So I'm just. I'm, I'm just <laughs> are you aware of the ambient abyssal award? No, oh, tell yeah. me about that. <laughs> so on BGG in the trick taking guild, there's the gold golden trickster award that yep. they do every year. I voted. I, I added my vote this year. Oh, what uh, you you can keep it anonymous if you want, but if you what did you vote for? You don't have to say. I think I voted for inside job. Great pick. Yeah, great pick. Yeah. Great pick. I did as well. I'm pretty sure I did. So, basically though, one of the years ambient abyssal, I, I can't remember now, time flying like crazy. I think it was 2 years ago now where ambient abyssal was put in as a recommendation and it was told it couldn't be on the list because it's not a trick-taking game it's a climbing game <laughs> and then somebody joked in the comments saying what if we made the ambient abyssal award that essentially is like for climbing games but it's right. called the ambient abyssal award and then people started nominating ambient abyssal for the ambient abyssal award <laughs> which it of course won single-handedly and it's now just sort of a running joke, and it's won the couple of years in a row that it's been up for Believe voting. It, it would be funnier if it never won, <laughs> if it was just constantly <laughs> defeated, like badly, like didn't the even loser come close. of its own. Yeah, <laughs> it would be good. It'd be a good Maybe bit planet actually. Planet cute, cute overtakes it in the same yeah. competition. or only like, planet oh, cute wins it. <laughs> just starts <laughs> taking over. Well, I guess now planet <laughs> cute has to win it. Yeah, oh, 100%. It's the new one for it. Yeah. That's Oh, and I, I also ordered Owl About through uh, the PGC Discord, uh, mm. purely based on your ravings of it and, and your your Ooh. hooting about oh, it. Yeah, it's a hoot. Yeah, you beat Ooh. me too. Yeah. You can no longer be a guest on this episode. <laughs> you can't be beating that one of the hosts. Uh, well, I, you know, I bought it on a wing and a prayer. So. Mm, there you go. Oh, I like it. <laughs> mm, yeah, this is good. This is good stuff. Got yeah, lots of puns coming in tonight. <laughs> I'm fine. It really I'm totally got its, fine. It really got its talons into me. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. If I did that many in a row, I think Ryan would be cutting uh, out the episode. But I like it. I, I enjoyed that. I finally got, got a pun assistant. Owl About is a great game. Your puns are, I guess, also great. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you, I guess. 
<laughs> Only because you're the guest. When Patrick says them, they're not good, but I'll yeah, give them to you. Flat, but we like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's great. I'm 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 excited to to, to get your thoughts on Owl about because that one is definitely a little bit wackier. Yeah, uh, with the powers and everything else, and the way tricks resolve and how you play into it. I will say the first play of it, try to get four players. Okay. With it. No problem. That's our that's our usual. Yeah, if you play five or six, you're probably all gonna have a bad experience and not want to try it again. Okay. So, but every group's different. You never know. Cool. Well, I'm definitely finding I like the, I like the wacky ones a lot. Right. Ease yourself in with the special powers on that one, Ryan. I know you say with that game, don't necessarily play with the special powers the first time you play, then chuck them in once you've had just a game. Or with... yeah, even just a hand, just right, play out hand, a practice yeah. hand without the powers to understand the flow of the game. Once everyone's comfortable enough with it, then explain the powers and slowly start to introduce them. Don't try and read the included rule book that came with the game, by the way, <laughs> unless you just want to entertain yourself for right. five, ten minutes, because it's funny, but it doesn't make any sense. I'll just have Ryan. I'll just have Ryan teach me. You got Ryan. Yeah. There you go. Well, I mean, I basically will if you read the new rule book. I, I made a new rule book for it. It's on BGG. Though. Oh, well, there you go. I'm in. That's, that's where I'd go first. Yeah. Yeah, cool. that's yeah, That's a pretty solid list of new games you got coming. This is just you know, it's all just the the PGC Discord. It's just it's a it's a horrible uh, place of um, you know just financial ruin. Yeah, just yeah. really debasing myself financially. Um, you know, to play fun games with my friends. There are worse things in life, Matty. There are, there are, and you know, I, I as somebody who's been in this hobby a long time, like I. I, I, and so, well, you know, having a podcast kind of enables it, but like, I really like learning games and I'm really good at letting go of games that I don't play anymore. So I, you know, I love buying lots of games and then finding homes that will appreciate them more than mine after I've gotten my three or four plays out of it. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fast on the draw buyer, but also a fast on the draw seller, which is, uh, you know. That's which, always great. It's only problematic with that I've had to buy multiple games again when i realized oh wait actually no that was great uh, i like but, that one yeah yeah but then you really know yeah, I'm in cutting you, mode you really know you love it then you know if you buy it twice that's when you know if you love something let it go if it comes back that happened to me with bottle imp so i won't be making that mistake again yeah what happens after you get it for the third or fourth time yeah, I, I I like it, but I've got someone in my group who doesn't like it, and sure. pretty much is the only person I can get it played with. Right. So, but everybody knows the story. But I bought it, I let it go. It came back into my collection. I let it go again, and I'm waiting <laughs> for somebody to sort of just send it me in the post to ruin my life all over again. It's, <laughs> it will work its way back to me. It is an imp in the bottle. It is. Don't get any ideas, Ryan. By the way, Just... I wouldn't spend my own money on a game even for a bit like that. I I don't like that game enough to to hurt you in that way. <laughs> I'm relieved. Okay. Well, Patrick, did you have any other questions for Maddie before I toss out the final question? Oh, the final question. Um, just wanted to say I don't know if we 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 mentioned. I don't want to go into it too much because I know this final questions is a good one. Pompeys, we liked that one, Matty, didn't we? I know you were enamored Loved it. with it. Yeah, no, that that it. was the, the I bought it immediately uh, after we we finished playing it, and it, yeah, it is sitting on my doorstep right now, about ten feet away from me, and I'm gonna throw it in my bag before I head head on the road. Just just lining you up for it because I made a comment during that game. I said it's one of the only trick takers when you can get seriously hosed. So, 
fire finance setting. So uh, I'll let you ask your question now, Ron. I, I generally wanted to get Max's views for the listeners and pivot you back. No, it's it's great. I yeah, I mean, I I think Pompiers is is a good one to have in the collection, especially if you have the crew and you've been able yeah. to show people that off. You can be like, okay, well now we've worked together. Let's work against each other. Crew. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So it can be good for the different flavors for people who might not like cooperative games. You know, you have yeah. those, both those options. Which I usually am not somebody that enjoys cooperative games. So yeah, I, I definitely liked that. And I love the mission aspect of the crew. So it's made for me. There you go. Awesome. Well, so the final question, which is now a sort of guest regular question that we are asking everyone that comes on. And I'm going to give you a caveat, actually, before Ooh. you answer the question. Because you're not allowed to say Lord of the Rings is your answer. Okay. And you can explain to the listeners why after I ask the question. <laughs> but the question is, if you were to jump into any board game world, Ooh. Jumanji style, open up the box, you jump in and you're now part of that world, what game would it be? Wow. Um, well, I'll, I'll, while I'm thinking, I'll explain why I'm not allowed to say Lord of the Rings is because I... My family and I very much love Lord of the Rings, and my son is named Strider, uh, and we had our honeymoon in New Zealand doing a two-week Lord of the Rings tour, and <laughs> our, my wife and I are very, uh, I have a, a Hobbit pinball table right behind me in the other corner of the room. Uh, yeah, so it, uh, Lord of the Rings is near and dear to my heart. Um, boy, that is a really tough one. What? I mean, all my favorite games take place in like, horrible terrifying dystopian world i mean even 18xx would be the worst world to live in just like <laughs> the true cruelty of capitalism um, so i don't want to get stuck on lord of the rings but you, the middle name wasn't aragorn by any chance you got no aragorn no right, he, he, he has not yet second. decided if he i assume at some point in his life he'll change his name to aragorn which is when he really finds his inner power and <laughs> steps forward and takes the, the responsibility of his bloodline i love it you know Oh, that was just buying you some extra time to think yeah, about the board game it. as well but i was generally interested yeah i don't know like all my favorite games are so themeless that's like like i'm thinking like what is what, what is the world of twa i don't even know like <laughs> medieval town building um and with people attacking you and plague coming yeah that sounds horrible there's just plague and war yeah, and got to use all my black dice for things i don't want to use them for and um I'm going to I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stick with my favorite game of all time because I actually think it would be a lovely existence and that would be Agricola. Outside of the the hardship of feeding my family every year, I can't think of a nicer life than just just the joy of farming in the chilling with the sheep 16th century Germany. Uh nice. Yeah. I, I I love that is my favorite board game of all time and um I am happy to spend, I love the, the artwork of that game and the world it builds and the sweet little farm and the animals and all the different occupations and miners' occupations. And Hopefully you get it to the highest renovation level as well if you're jumping in. Hopefully you've got the, st the stone level. Yeah, but you know, not unless yeah. I have, you know, a, a really strong clay strategy that round or, you know, a big house wood <laughs> strat, you know, like there's, you know, there's lots of ways I'm fine not having a stone like house as well. Yeah. Which which animal are you allowing to live in the house with you? 
it's always the pig. You always keep one pig in your house. Always. Yeah. You got to watch your food intake then, because that will definitely <laughs> munch on the supplies. But yeah. maybe I'm looking into it too much. Well, also I'm Jewish, so it gets even weirder. So. dramatic awesome well yeah that was that's a a great answer thanks less uh yeah it was there you go yeah it's less sad i guess than the other ones that you were mentioning (laughs) yeah it's like i don't want to live in anachrony or you know or tracarion or yeah Uh, hands of teutonic medieval germany right yeah no way sounds a little terrible Awesome. Well, we do want to be mindful of your time. I know you've got Pompier sitting on your doorstep waiting for you to pick up. So I, I want to make sure you get to that. And, yeah, I got to bag it all there, up. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to plug of your own, whether it's beyond the Game Brain podcast or anything else that you could think of? Now's the time if you'd like. Yeah, no, uh, you know, uh, Game Brain podcast available anywhere that you can find your podcasts. And um I've really enjoyed the PGC Discord, and I, I'd like to think we have a, an equally welcoming and enthusiastic Discord. So uh, if you're on the PGC Discord, you're welcome to uh, ask me for an invite there. Or I think we have our invites on the Instagram as well. But um, but yeah, come on through. Say hi. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've been in there for a little bit. I'm surprised I wasn't in there longer. Well, I should I've be in there. I've been to a few game brains before. Yeah. I'm in there. Yeah, I've been listening to the podcast since it first started, but I just never thought to jump in there. But yeah, since I've been in there, it's, it's been great. It's it's nice. You guys have uh, some cool channels. You know, after the episodes are aired, people start having some conversations yeah. after the episodes, which is always great getting involved with that. So totally. they've even got their own pinball section. I mean, that's when I <laughs> we do. That's the first thing we I do. go into, right? So yeah, like that's it. my fault because I have a I have a long a lifelong pinball obsession that. Uh, that I've, that's come up on the podcast a few times. So it's brought out the other pinheads. Love it. Know. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for, for joining us today. This was lovely. And I'm sure we'll be seeing you more, whether it's on the PGC Discord server or yeah, anywhere absolutely. else online, uh, playing some more of these games. It'll be great to maybe catch up in a few months, see where you are. If you're still in love with trick-taking, if you sold them all, because <laughs> now... It was a fly-by-night <laughs> thing, Ryan, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on I'm on the like the dexterity game podcast in three months, being like, you know, I went through this trick taking phase and now I'm really well, now just, it's a roll of rice. When I when I found the world of flicking games, my my brain really exploded. <laughs> but dexterity, it's amazing what you can do with yeah. your hands. Absolutely. <laughs> There's some great dexterity games out there. I'm sure they'll catch you soon. Yeah, I don't know. I think I missed my dexterity boat, but <laughs> Django was a great anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. I, I've really enjoyed your show a lot. And uh, I, I'm a, a, a screenwriter in Los Angeles. If anybody has been following that world, we are on strike. And I have been walking the strike line listening to your podcast quite often. So it's uh, it's made striking a little easier. So thank you for that. Well, coming from a screenwriter, that's really appreciated. Thanks, Matty. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... A better, there's no better fitting way to end the episode than for Maddie. If you want to actually take us out with your uh, classic game brain way you end your episode, and then an awkward goodbye at the end, (laughs) make it awkward. Uh, yeah, well, uh, oh geez, it's hard to do without the whole preamble we do. You're listening to Game Brain, uh, always jumps (laughs) the end. Um, go find some, go play some games with friends, or go make some friends with games. Beautiful, love it, absolutely love it. (laughs) 
Does this we 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 see you around at this point? Do we we say? Oh uh, yeah, and we just say see you around. We're less clever <laughs> with our outros. So <laughs> goodbye for now. Bye.